So Genesis 19. I'll read verses 1 through 14. Our focus is in the first 11 verses, but I'll read up to 14 to get the greater context. Let's hear God's word. And there came two angels to Sodom at even, and Lot sat in the gate of Sodom, and Lot seeing them rose up to meet them, and he bowed himself with his face toward the ground. And he said, Behold now, my lords, turn in, I pray you, into your servant's house, and tarry all night, and wash your feet, and ye shall rise up early and go on your ways. And they said, Nay, but we will abide in the street all night. And he pressed upon them greatly, and they turned in unto him, and entered into his house, and he made them a feast, and did bake unleavened bread, and they did eat. But before they lay down, the men of the city, even the men of Sodom, compassed the house round, both old and young, all the people from every quarter. And they called unto Lot, and said unto him, Where are the men which came into thee this night? Bring them out unto us, that we may know them. And Lot went out at the door unto them, and shut the door after him, and said, I pray you, brethren, do not so wickedly. Behold, now I have two daughters which have not known man. Let me, I pray you, bring them out unto you, and do ye to them as is good in your eyes. Only unto these men do nothing. For therefore came they under the shadow of my roof. And they said, Stand back. And they said again, This one fellow came into sojourn, and he will needs be a judge. Now will we deal worse with thee than with them. And they pressed sore upon the man, even Lot, and came near to break the door. But the men put forth their hand and pulled Lot into the house to them and shut to the door. And they smote the men that were at the door of the house with blindness both small and great, so that they wearied themselves to find the door. And the men said unto Lot, Hast thou here any besides, son-in-law and thy sons and thy daughters, and whatsoever thou hast in the city? Bring them out of this place, for we will destroy this place, because the cry of them is waxen great before the face of the Lord, and the Lord hath sent us to destroy it. And Lot went out and spake unto his sons-in-law, which married his daughters, and said, Up! Get you out of this place, for the Lord will destroy this city. But he seemed as one that mocked unto his sons-in-law. Amen. May God bless his word to us. Let's pray for the preaching. O God of heaven, what a hard thing to hear in this word of sinners so consumed with their lust that they would stop at nothing to, uh, to pursue it. And so, Lord, as the minister preaches, would Christ, the light of the world, shine light into the darkness that is in our hearts to turn us away from the evil of our sin and to the blessed Redeemer. May the people of God know that if Christ has set them free, they are free indeed. And may this text then be used by the power of the Holy Ghost to dissuade and turn many from sin and to the Redeemer for salvation and to dissuade the people of God here from ever toying with sin, lest they find themselves so utterly blind and hopeless as this. O God, pour out your Spirit upon the congregation now as we come to behold this word and open our eyes. Do not blind us. Open our eyes to behold the wondrous things in the word of God, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the text that is before us is perhaps one of the most chilling texts in all of the scripture. Truly so. Now, at first, when you come to this text, you may be frightened for a lesser reason. Children, maybe you're frightened thinking of yourself as Lot. And here comes this mob seeking to destroy the door and to come into your place and to pull you out and to have their way with you in a most abominable way. And maybe that's where your fear is first. But there's really a greater fear that we ought to have in this text. Something more frightening, which is the complete power of sin over the human heart. The great power of sin over the minds and hearts of fallen men. The blindness, the hardness, and the ravenous, beastly nature of it as it is exhibited here in Sodom. Here is the madness of the human heart that is held captive to sin found in our text here. 
The craving for sin so great that even temporal judgments cannot stop its pursuit. Here's a mob of sodomites struck blind. Struck blind. Did it stop their pursuit of sin? Absolutely not. In fact, and here's the phrase that's always captured me as I've come to this text in verse 11. Instead, when they are struck blind, what do you read? They wearied themselves to find the door. They wearied themselves to find the door of sin that they would pursue it with vigor. It didn't matter what happened to them. They were in their affliction pursuing sin so greatly. This is the power of sin over the human heart. It causes us to pursue it and not turn from it even when we are afflicted by it. There's great explanatory power in this text when it comes to sin in our own hearts and also in society around us as well. That as temporal judgments fall one after another, sinners are not dissuaded from their sin. Instead, they become more ravenous at times and pursue it all the more. There is great explanatory power in this text. You know, I was doing some research. There's another illustration that comes out of our nation's prison system, ungodly as it is. Um, The recidivism rate of U.S. prisoners is 70% within five years. 70% within five years. Children, what that means is that those who offended and were in prison... Within five years of being released from prison, they will commit another crime that will cause them to go back to prison. See, penal punishments don't cure the heart, do they? In fact, sometimes it causes the heart to become more and more pursuant to sin. This is a great illustration here in this text. Temporal judgments do not cure the sinner of their lust for sin. And this is where we even, as we considered that dread doctrine of hell not uh, terribly long ago, the worst punishment of all, hell does not cure the sinner. Hell is not remedial. The sinner continues to have hatred for God. That tells us, as we consider hell, we consider this text, something else must cure our sinful hearts if we're going to have hope. What can do it? It's the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. He and he alone can do it, brethren. Only Christ can set you free from the the chains that sin has put around your heart. And what did he say? If the Son has set you free, you are free indeed. See, the hope of the gospel does shine forth today from the New Testament into Sodom at that time. Sodom did not have the gospel preached to it, but you do, and we'll consider what that portends later on. But that said, believers, and I speak to you here, the believers never to let sin return to the throne of the heart once Christ has set you free. Being crucified with Christ, Christ um, living in you by the Holy Spirit, he has come to set you free of sin's power and you're not to give sin dominion over your heart. That would be a beastly thing to do. And so in this text, what you are to do is you are to come to hate and despise sin You are to see what it will make of you if you give sin dominion over you. But you also are going to see that the only cure that is possible is the power of God, the grace of God working through the Holy Spirit to free you of your sin. And so with that, I know my intro has gone a bit long today. Our theme is only Christ's grace can quench sin's unquenchable lust. Only Christ's grace can quench sin's unquenchable lust. And our time is divided into three heads. First is lusting for sin. Second, smitten by God. And third, persisting in sin. We'll spend most of our time in our first head, which is lusting for sin. Now, our text, as you well know, takes us to the last day of Sodom. This is its final day. And that ought to chill us as well. It will be obliterated from the face of the earth by God's wrath as the angels you heard say, said, and the Lord had dispatched these two angels to investigate the spiritual condition of the city. Abraham, children, you remember in the last chapter, had pleaded that Sodom might be spared, right? And in prayer, he had pleaded with the Lord, and the Lord said, if there are but 10 righteous in the city, then I will spare it. 
And so these angels are dispatched. Uh, They take the form of men and they come into the gates of the city. Now, angels, children can do that. Uh, Hebrews 13.2 says, God says, Be not forgetful to entertain strangers, for uh, thereby some have entertained angels unaware. Right? Well, the angels come, and Lot is at the gate of Sodom. And he seems somewhat aware of the holiness of the angels. He bows low to the ground before them. We don't know if was he waiting for them? We're not sure. Um, did Abraham send a dispatch into Sodom to Lot earlier ahead of the angels? We don't know. You know, some commentators believe that Lot was actually in the habit of being at the gate to, um, to greet strangers, to greet strangers, because you remember Peter says that Lot was often vexed, wasn't he, by the conduct of Sodom. Second Peter 2, 7 and 8. Uh, delivered just Lot, vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked. For that righteous man dwelling among them in seeing and hearing vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. So his soul may be vexed, knowing what the inhabitants of Sodom were in the habit of doing, and especially to strangers who come into the city. And so here is Lot at the gate to show hospitality lest they be consumed by the depravity of Sodom. So he invited, and I'm giving you an overview of the narrative again, he invited the angels into his home to stay the night, uh, because nighttime children, you of course know, would pose special danger, wouldn't it? Now the angels tell him they would rather stay on the street, but Lot presses them, come into my house. He knows what the people of Sodom are like. He suspects the violence that would be done to them given Sodom's craving for lust. He makes a feast for them and entertains them. But before they could retire for the night, the danger comes. In verse 4, you read of the men of Sodom surrounding the house, both old and young. I'll get to that later. But you need to consider this. Both old and young, from the youngest there to the oldest aged person, They were there surrounding the house with one pursuit for sin. In verse 5, they cry out to Lot, Bring them out unto us that we may know them. Now what the Bible does not mean here is they wanted to have a conversation and get to understand these men. But to know them in a carnal manner. And to abuse them. Terrible thing. Now the angels had taken the form of males. And the males of Sodom wanted to know them carnally. And so you have homosexual sin in view here. Homosexual sin, you might know, is properly called sodomy because of the association here with Sodom. And that is a proper thing to call it, sodomy. Let's not think that that's an antiquated term. It is right and proper and biblical. And sodomy, homosexuality, is unnatural and it is against God's created order. The wickedness of these men is not only that they wanted to violate these angels, that magnifies their heinousness. It also shows you, and let me dwell on this thought for a little bit, it shows you where sexual sin leads so often. Violence. Violence. Sexual lust leads in many cases to violence. In our pornographic culture where pornography is everywhere, Are we surprised? And this number ought to stun us if we knew numbers. 400,000 rapes a year in the U.S. 400,000 rapes of those who are over the age of 12. I don't even want to know, perhaps, what the number is of those under 12 who are sexually assaulted. And you know these numbers are not scarcely reported at the level they ought to be. For many reasons. The number of souls violated is probably too great to be understood. And so we'll get to that a little bit. The violence here where sexual sin leads. Another reason to keep yourself pure and clean. Your eyes away from things they ought not to see. Well, returning to homosexuality, I have to dwell on this for a bit because it is unnatural and very sinful. The Bible calls it an abomination. And that needs to be stated clearly today and unambiguously in our anything-goes society. 
Toleration for this sin, which is called heinous, is coming even from evangelical churches today. But let me remind you of what the Bible has to say. Leviticus 18, 22 through 24. Thou shalt not lie with mankind as with womankind. It is abomination. Neither shalt thou lie with any beast to defile thyself therewith. Neither shall any woman stand before a beast to lie down thereto. It is confusion. Defile not ye yourselves in any of these things. For in all these the nations are defiled which I cast out before you. So let us not pretend that the ancients were unaware of these sins. They're very clear on these sins. God says it is sinful. God says it is confusion. What does that mean? It's confusion of my order. God made man, male and female, after his image. It goes against his own order. I did not make you for this, God says. Right? I did not make you for this purpose. Basic biology should scream that to you through general revelation. You don't even need special revelation. This ought to be obvious to all, as it is to many societies who don't even have the Bible. And what I want you to see, you know, he said also in Leviticus 18, the nations surrounding Israel did that. And here you find Sodom, of course, doing this kind of thing. And by the way, when you remember where you are here in Genesis, let us remember that God's judgment on Sodom precedes the ceremonial law. Some people say, oh, these are ceremonial things. No. Here you have Sodom in Genesis before Leviticus, judged by God. It's not a violation of an ordinance that is done away with when the the temple was destroyed in AD 70. But it is moral. It has to do with creation. In Moses, it was codified as a capital offense in Leviticus 20, verse 13. If a man also lie with mankind as he lieth with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination. They shall surely be put to death. Their blood shall be upon them. And unless you think this is all Old Testament, New Testament speaks on the vileness. Romans 1, 26 through 28. For this cause, God gave them up unto vile affections. For even their women did change the natural use into that which is, and hear these words, against nature. Against nature. It's against the creation. Against God as creator. It abides for all time. And likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another. Men with men working that which is unseemly and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error which was meet. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. There are weighty things there, and this is not a sermon on homosexuality, but we could dwell on these things. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 lists homosexuality in a litany of sins that would keep one out of the kingdom of God. Jude 7 speaks of Sodom. Even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh, are set forth for an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. These cities are set as an example in the New Testament. And yet we, for some reason, think they are no longer an example to us. Why must Sodom be preached? Jude tells you it is an abiding example for us today. It is not something, oh, you know, and, and this, is, this is heretical, right, to say the God of the Old Testament you know, is a God of fire and brimstone and vengeance, but the God of the New Testament is a God of grace and love. No, God, Old Testament, New Testament's a God of grace and love. And God's wrath against sin is just as abiding in the New Testament as in the Old. We find more clearly the cure for sin in Christ, yet God remains the same. All these things are against the created order and against God as creator. So let us not become deceived and desensitized to these things. Our society is normalizing what is wicked, vile, and strange, confused. But we're not the first. You know, we always think we're pioneers, don't we? We're we're the first society to throw off the yoke of God. No, here's Sodom thousands of years before Christ. Normalizing what was exceeding wicked, their conscience is seared. 
Now, the text shows that this was permeating all of society, old and young, small and great, all of one accord, pursuing this abominable sin as though it had become natural to them. You know, when our society becomes so insensible that sodomy has ceased to be shameful and not just tolerated, but now expected to be celebrated, we've turned the corner, haven't we? We're in a society's last days and God's judgment hangs over us like the sword of Damocles, right? And this is Sodom in its last and final day. The desire for sin grown so great that they could not help but want to violate strangers who came in. You know, these beings exude holiness that causes Lot to bow down before them. But in the reprobate here, it causes them to want to lust after them and violate them. This is what this kind of sin does in the heart. This is how insensible sin makes us if it is given free reign. This is where unchecked sin leads. Now let me just say, I can't get past this, if you are dealing with sexual sin, heterosexual, homosexual, you know, Jude spoke of fornication. Whatever it may be, whether it is done in secret or it is done in open or it is done in the bed, by, in the computer, wherever, whatever, by God's grace, you must repent of it. You must turn away from it swiftly. You know, when it comes to our society at large, listen to the warning in Isaiah 3.9. The show of their countenance doth witness against them, and they declare their sin as Sodom, they hide it not. Woe unto their soul, for they have rewarded evil unto themselves. You know, we have no shame, do we? As a people, it seems. We declare our sin openly as Sodom when we're unashamed of these things, when we declare it openly and flaunt it, when we flaunt God's created order and rail against it, we are openly inviting the hammer of God to fall. The Bible shows these things are also scarcely improved on in a society. Such sin grows and grows like leaven, typically and uh, grows in moral decadence. You saw Rome of old, how it grew in this way, in decadence. And you see that greatly in the West today. Well, brethren, as you heard even in Romans 1, sodomy does not just make you liable to God's judgment. Sodomy is actually God's judgment. For idolatry, God hands us over to unnatural sin. The reason is this. He says, you will not worship the God of nature and make idols instead. I will turn you to unnatural things against the created order. See, idolatry begins first and then you're handed over to it. And what we need to remember is there's no blessedness, there's no happiness when a society pursues sexual sin, whether it be heterosexual or homosexual. There's no blessedness. Advertisers, politicians, propagandists can claim happiness and blessing and whatever else, but the reality is quite different. It is God already judging a people. Out of it will then follow temporal judgments and desolations. But a society openly indulging in sodomy has already been judged. You know, the only thing that keeps the hammer from falling, right, is this, the presence of Christians. The presence of Christians. Abraham pleaded for 10 righteous in Sodom that the Lord would stay the judgment. The problem is how many were in Sodom? Just one. Just one. And so what simultaneously happens in a nation that's judged is this increase of given over to these perversions and a decrease of true born again Christians. And you see these things coincide, don't they? And then you have to plead with the Lord to reverse these things. Oh God, reverse these things. Send forth thy spirit into our land and cause us to turn unto thee. Christians are salt, are preservative in a society. And God keeps the judgment from falling because of them. Well, I've spoken long on judgment and things of these sorts. But if you are ensnared in homosexuality, Right, this is a text by which you are to then see that there is actually hope for you and that hope is in Christ. 
Right? You're not going to be cured because somebody put penal judgments on you. You're not going to be cured because you think you can get into some sort of therapy. You're only going to be cured by the power of God and the gospel to convert you to the Lord Jesus Christ. Your doom is not sealed as long as you, uh, you can um, breathe. You can still flee to Christ for refuge. If you will receive him and you will repent of your sin, the Lord will cleanse you with his own blood applied to you. The blood that he shed on the cross for homosexuals, for transsexuals, for lesbians, for bisexuals, and everything else in that alphabet soup that we speak of today, of LGBTQ, whatever. But you repent and you turn to the Lord and the Lord himself will cleanse you. In 1 Corinthians 6, he says that these, that some uh, of you were such as these, but you are cleansed and washed and sanctified by the Spirit of our God. Forgiveness, grace, mercy, and help, they're all freely offered to you now in the person of Jesus Christ. You go to him and he will help you. He will not cast you out. Maybe even Christian persons have said, get away from me. But you humbly come to the Lord and he will not turn you away. All that come to him, he says, he will in no wise cast out. Come and be forgiven and healed. And more on that later. Well, the crowd of Sodomites surrounded Lot's home, gone mad by their lust, and Lot shuts the door and did something which seems unfathomable. And I hope it is to the parents here anyhow. He offers to give his daughters to the mob. Verse 7. Behold, now I have two daughters which have not known man. Let me, I pray you, bring them out unto you, and do ye to them as is good in your eyes. Only unto these men do nothing, for therefore came they under the shadow of my roof. Now this is staggering, isn't it? He offers to have his daughters abused by the mob. The sense is he feels like it's more necessary to give protection to those he gave hospitality to than his own children. Now here is an example of what happens to even the godly man's soul when he chooses to surround himself with depravity. It deadens the conscience. It makes even what is wicked seem acceptable. 1 Corinthians 15.33 Be not deceived, evil communications that is company corrupt good manners. You want an example of it? Look at Lot. Here's a man who's called righteous, who's had his morals corrupted in such a way that he's willing to hand over his daughters to the mob to be violated. Do not be deceived. Lot was a believer. The Bible says that. But see the tragic figure he has become. His own conscience so utterly mixed up. How did it begin? You remember that Lot pitches his tent towards Sodom, doesn't he? When he had that choice with Abraham. And here, as they say, the chickens are coming home to roost for that tragic decision. He not only chose to do it then, right? But he continued to choose to remain in Sodom. All these years, he could have found a way out. If he had gone to Abraham even, would Abraham have not helped him? Absolutely. You know, it's one thing, brethren, if you are carted off to Babylon or you find yourselves without means uh, to leave a sinful environment or situation, but if you choose to stay in a place that is totally depraved, right? you choose to associate with those who are depraved and you have a way out, because of the love of the world or lust of flesh or whatever else, pride of life, do not ever expect things to go well for your soul or for your family. Lot's life became a complete and utter tragedy. You know, he barely left this life with his own soul. And what of his family? The soul of his wife, destroyed. The souls of his daughters, destroyed. They later would commit incest with him. Again, how this society has deadened this whole family. What would be, they would become the mothers of Israel's, some of their greatest and most corrupting foes, the Moabites and the Ammonites. All because this man chooses to pitch his tent towards Sodom and live there. What grief has come upon the people of God. 
fellowshipping with the unbelieving. I mean, look at verse 7. He calls the Sodomites brethren. The Hebrew word signifies kinship for somebody of the same tribe. He had become a citizen of Sodom and displaced his identity as a citizen of heaven. And that can happen right here and right now for any here. You know, many Christians are, and I'm not speaking particularly against, you know, any sort of love of country. That's not what I'm doing at all. I hope you understand this. But many Christians are Americans first and Christians second. And as America has been leaving biblical values, what are you left holding as American values if your citizenship is in America first? Pantheism, sodomy, lewdness, mutilation, abortion, atheism, right? At what point do you have to make a break with these things and say, no, I am not going to be afflicted in this way? You know, it's actually kind of interesting. I remember growing up, and I remember on the news broadcasts all the time, it would say, Middle Easterners look on Americans as depraved. Now, some of us laughed at this as a caricature. Today, it is hard to say they were wrong. We only had been desensitized as lot. And I say that as somebody who does love this nation, but our clothes, our entertainment, our amusements, our pornography, which you cannot escape if you try to use a computer, and um, our debt, our murder of children. Have we grown desensitized to these things, brethren? Do these things no longer shock us? Welcome to America. This is what was happening to Lot, who refused to see that his own conscience, his own walk with the Lord, was uh, degrading to the point he's giving up his daughters to evil men. Well, time is way gone for this point, but our text shows the many dimensions of the effects of sin, especially sexual sin. It is chilling, and that's what I want you to take away from this head. It is absolutely chilling. It should frighten us. And we are not to play with sin at all. At all. We are to keep ourselves from it. We are to take it to Christ for mortification. Take it now. Take it now. Lest you find yourself like Lot or worse, like these here who are trying to break down the door. Well, let's move to our second heading then with that thought, smitten by God. Now, as expected, the Sodomites did not care for Lot's offer. Even though he offered to them as virgins, they said, there is no thrill in that for us. That is not sufficient for us to satisfy our cravings. We want the men. You can see just in that, sexual sin is never satisfied. It just becomes more perverted. What might have been a thrill to a man maybe generations ago in Sodom, here is now nothing. What seems to satisfy, and this is a general truth of all sin, what seems to satisfy the sinner today will not satisfy tomorrow. You see this with drug addicts and all kinds of people, don't you? The high is just not enough. It must grow and it must grow. You know, the only satisfaction in this area is found in texts like this. Let thy fountain be blessed and rejoice with the wife of thy youth. Let her be as the loving hind and pleasant roe. Let her breast satisfy thee at all times and be thou ravished always with her love. Proverbs 5, 18 to 19. By the grace of God, that is where your focus ought to be if you are called to a life of marriage and not singleness. Young people, let me just say this. In our society, there is a lot of temptation towards sexual sin and you are to resist with the help of the Lord. At the earliest motion, it is to be enjoyed, absolutely so, but in the bonds of marriage. One man, one woman, for a lifetime ordinarily, until death do you part. You know, anything else, even fornication of a heterosexual sort, is wicked. End of story. And it, it, it usually escalates even in that. I don't have time for that to talk about. But I'll just give you one uh, example for you to be warned by. You might know, and I was thinking of this as I was considering this text, the sad and sorry story of Josh Duggar. Some of you do. 
You know, he indulged in sexual sin. He abused his own sisters. It spirals out of control, even though he had his own wife, uh, lovely wife and children, and he was found and, uh, and he was um, prosecuted and found guilty of possession of material about children that is vile and wicked. You see, this kind of sin just escalates and escalates and escalates and escalates. And you are to stay far and far away from it. And now today, this is the worst part, right? Not even what has happened to that man, not even what has happened to that family, as tragic as it is, but what has happened to the name of our God. The name of our God is blasphemed because of men like this. And may you and I never be the occasion for such a thing. Please, if you're a believer, do not indulge in sexual sin of any kind. Repent from it and turn from it, lest it be it consume you, and not only you, but all those around you. And bring reproach on the church, reproach on Christ. It will be unquenchable, as you're about to see, unless Christ quenches it. It will grow and fan into a flame. Same is true for any sin you indulge in. Well, the Sodomites respond to Lot in view of his offer of his daughters in verse 9. Stand back, and they said again, This one fellow came into sojourn, and he will needs be a judge. Now will we deal worse with thee than with them. And they pressed sore upon the man, even Lot, and came near to break the door. Now, the result of Lot even offering the sinful thing and saying, Don't have the men, what does it cause in these sinners? Hatred and contempt for him. They were going to molest him now as well. He was angered by the man's righteousness, such as it is greatly compromised. Now, what we have to note on this is a couple of things. Even a shred of righteous indignation, a small shred was too much for them to bear. They said, this one fellow came into sojourn and he will needs be a judge. Now, this is very interesting, right? Lot was never truly accepted by these people. He called them brethren. They call him a sojourner. You see, the Christian, no matter how much you try to lower right, God's righteous requirements before the unbeliever and compromise with them, the moment you even take a feeble stand for what is right, they will turn on you because they are consumed with their lust. And all the ways that you try to compromise with them to try to fit in with them, it will be proven to no avail at the end. The only thing that they will stand for is you renouncing Christ altogether or you create a version of Christ that is so impotent that they're willing to have him, which is no Christ at all, but an idol. You know, in a way, they were not wrong. He is a sojourner. He was a pilgrim through the world. It's strange to hear a truth out of the mouths of unbelievers for a wrong end, like at Christ's trial, be that as that may. But when you're tempted to compromise, thinking you will be accepted by sinners, see the truth here. That's a fool's game. It really is. Right? What will they do? When you say you take a stand for righteousness, even as kindly and gently as possible, they will say, right, they will use this, they call Lot a judge. What's the favorite verse of the sinner? Judge not lest ye be judged, right? Here they are using that same ploy. You just remember, children, that the Lord has said, judge with righteous judgment. Right? Just not hypocritical. So the question is, why compromise at all with the works of darkness? Reprove them and have no fellowship. Do not water your Christianity down. If you love sinners, reprove them and point them to Christ. And don't stand for their sin. Point them to Jesus. Trust in the Lord. Even so, the Lord was faithful to Lot to deliver him. Verses 10 and 11. But the men put forth their hand and pulled Lot into the house to them and shut to the door. And they smote the men that were at the door of the house with blindness, both small and great, so that they wearied themselves to find the door. Now we're cheered by this when Peter spoke of Lot. The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptations or trials and to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished. Now we are, as we walk as sojourners in this world, to trust in the Lord to deliver us. Not to resort to compromise, right? But to trust that the Lord knows how to deliver the righteous from the wicked. We do not sin to be delivered, but we do what is right and we trust in him. I'll get to that when we close. But the angels here, the instruments of God, they smote the men who sought to molest Lot. 
And the temporal punishment that was inflicted upon them was blindness. Now, the Hebrew word for blindness here is actually rather unique. It's only used one other time. And it signifies really more than just plain eyesight. It has a spiritual sensibility to it as well. You know, in uh, the book of 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 18, uh, it is used there. And when they came down to him, Elisha prayed unto the Lord and said, Smite this people, I pray thee, with blindness. And he smote them with blindness. That's the same word in our text, according to the word of Elisha. Now, you remember in that very same text, Elisha prayed that the servant, his servant, would have his eyes opened to see the spiritual reality all about him, that he would see the army of the Lord that compassed about. But when the Syrians come, Elisha asks the Lord to strike them with blindness so that they could not see. So there's a a spiritual component here, more important, children, than your physical sight. And as I get older, my physical sight is degrading. More important is your spiritual sight. Such that even if you were totally blind physically, you could still see the Lord by faith. Things that we heard about this morning. Right? Jesus, he came to restore your spiritual sight to open the eyes of your understanding. Well, I'll get to that later. But with this understanding, the Sodomites not only lost their physical sight, you know, they couldn't quite get to the door. I don't think that it was totally removed, but perhaps like a a drunkard's vision is affected. Um, They not only lost their physical sight, but really the core of it, they were made insensible to matters of morality. You know, there's kind of a hardness of heart happening here, just as Pharaoh's in the Exodus. And this is a great judgment from the Lord. We have to see it this way. You know, if you indulge in sin, and as we had sung in the Psalms, if you say God does not see, right, and you think you're getting away with it, it's like, this is great, right? I'm continuing to pursue it. This is wonderful. You ought to tremble. That is God handing you over to sin, as he is doing here. You know, does God not see these things? He's in charge. He's giving you over to it. That is not mercy at all. You being blinded by your sin in the pursuit of it is really God judging you. And you will have to be, uh, you will give an account for what you had done in this horrid pursuit of sin. He may even be sending you temporal judgments as he did here, but you are ignoring that. And that is an awful horrifying thing to do. You need repenting and turning to the Lord. Don't be insensible to these things. I want to consider that more in our final heading, which is their response to their blindness, which is really quite shocking, persisting in sin. Now let's linger on that chilling phrase at the end of verse 11. They wearied themselves to find the door. You know, when a sinner is handed over to their sin. And this is what really, really chills us. They are so persistent in pursuit of it that they will spend themselves. They will utterly exhaust themselves to have their sin, to have their lust. Nothing seems to get in the way. Nothing seems to stand in the way. What was in the heart here of these sinners? Where is the door? I must find the door. I have been struck blind. I cannot even see clearly. I must get to the door to have these two men. And Lot too. Isn't that a frightening thought? That we would be made that insensible and how beastly sin makes us. How insensible we are to the imago Dei, the image of God. Their drive for sin was not halted by being struck blind, but even intensifies. And this is the depravity of the unregenerated heart. (sighs) No, on a corporate level, Sodom was acting corporately here. Think of our nation. Now, I recognize that our nation was plunging into depravity before 2015. I recognize that. But since Obergfell, that decision that recognized so-called same-sex marriage, quote-unquote, that's a grotesque abomination, of course, now codified as the law of the land. In less than five years, right, you see these these plagues come upon us. Things like COVID-19, and other great chastisements fall upon our land. We have presidents. You know, one seems, um, and as much as we want to honor our presidents, one seems senile. Right? We have these judgments that come upon us. And are we so insensible as the men of Sodom? 
being struck like this? Are these coincidences? Do you think so? Has our nation found repentance in any of these things? No. In fact, it is full speed ahead now on sexual sin and every other sin. Now we're not even satisfied with homosexuality, um, normalized. Now our blindness is so great, we think it's proper for men to say they are women and vice versa. And now we want men to use women's washrooms. Now we want men to compete on sports teams with biological females. Do you see the kind of blindness? We'd be utterly mad if we were thinking right. We would say we are utterly mad. And when the Christian speaks up, like Lot did, well, what happens? Cancel them, find them, say they are bigots and haters. Who made these sojourners our judges? Now, if you can't see the spiritual component tied together in Genesis 19 to America, circa 2024, I don't know what to say. Even the church is going in this way. We are wearying ourselves in a pursuit of sin. God has handed us over to it. Why? Because we have forsaken and abandoned God first. Now, I've preached on Romans 1, verses 18 to 25 before, but... Remember what, I, what we saw in that text. Because we do not glorify God as God, our foolish hearts are darkened, our eyes cannot see, we become fools and idolaters, and God gives us up to the lusts of our own hearts. Long before Oberg fell, right, we had already said, what? Get God out of our constitution, get God out of our workplace, get God out of our schools, and what happens? School shootings happen, strangely enough. Workplaces are even shot up, and these things are commonplace. When we say we will not give our children to God, and God takes them from us, we then say what? Where was God in all these things? Well, friends, you said you did not want him. So when God has sent us judgments and plagues, have we been sensible? No. What have we done? We have wearied ourselves to find the door of sin all the more. Now, let me make this a bit personal. Have you been, have you been afflicted with temporal judgment for sin? Not all, uh, now, I don't want to be like Job's friends. Not all temporal judgments are for sin. I want to be mindful of that. I want you to be mindful of that. Sometimes Jesus said, even physical blindness is for the glory of God. But I ask, are you pursuing what the Bible says is sinful and wrong in a high-handed manner? And chastisements have come upon you. There seems to it is staggering how even in the church you will find those that you warn with tears, don't pursue this sin with a high hand. And then calamity after calamity and what they might call misfortune comes upon them and they are so insensible at times you just want to cry and weep for them. You say, why are you not turning away? Well, sin has taken such a hold on these people's hearts and it makes you cry. You say, you lost the job. You have lost your family. You have lost this and that and the other because you are pursuing sin in a high-handed way. Why will you not turn? Be frightened that this can be where the heart can go. You have maybe drained your bank account. You've lost relationships, job after job. Um, some lose jobs for righteousness. Others lose jobs for sin. Maybe you're physically afflicted because of this sin. How many have even contracted diseases because they will not stop and God brings judgment? Yet you continue to live a life of, that's going to lead to damnation if not unrepented of. It's time to awake, O oh sleeper. Awake to what is happening. God, through this word, speaks to you tonight. Do not become deaf as well as blind. Relent of your high-handed sin and turn from it. Will you not relent? Is it not time to go to Christ and to turn away from these sins? What will you do if this is you? This is Sodom's last day. You don't have to end the way the Sodomites ended. Sodom did not have the gospel preached to them, but you do have the gospel preached to you tonight. All who count, call in the name of the Lord will be delivered. You need to repent and believe the gospel. That is the command and that is the invitation. 
The Lord can remove and strip the blindness from your eyes as he did to the Apostle Paul. The scales can come off. You can look at the door of sin with horror instead of delight. You look on that door and say, what have I done? What am I doing? And I have wearied myself for what? And God may shoot that thought into your heart tonight because there is another door, the door that leads to eternal life. Jesus said in John 10, I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come, and you heard our brother preach this this morning, that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. This is the door you need to chase. This is the door you must pursue, the door that leads to eternal life. The door, this Jesus gave his life for his sheep. He took their sin upon himself. Enter his sheepfold, he says, by faith and repent of sin. Leave it along with the ash heap that is today, Sodom. Come to your senses, friend. Give up sin and the lust in the heart, the sodomite, the transsexual, and so on. They're all invited to salvation tonight. 1 Corinthians 6, as I already related, says that they can be washed and sanctified and cleansed by the same Christ that washed and sanctified me, a sinner. Time is of the essence. Sodom ended that day. Fire and brimstone came down. You have no idea if this nation will be judged with atomic blast tonight. You have no idea if this night your soul will be required of you. Don't be a fool. Take the clemency, the mercy, the grace, the love that is offered to you now. Can your own power, you look on these men, can your own power free you of your blindness and madness for sin? Absolutely not. If you have pursued sin, only the power of Christ can free you. You cannot find it in your flesh because in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. Do not even think that punishments inflicted upon you by God himself will be remedial. It may merely be punitive. Even if you are under church discipline, the discipline itself without Christ avails you not. If it is to be remedial, it is insofar that it shoots you to Jesus for help. Thou hast destroyed thyself, but in me is thine help. Sin is a strong power. You are under its power and dominion outside Christ. Now, if you fear, and maybe you're trembling, that the Lord has given you spiritual blindness and hardness as a punishment, what must you do? Will you not humbly ask him to remove it? Will he not remove it? Are you afraid of that? You know, I already alluded to this. In Matthew 20, verse 30, two blind men, Ask Jesus to give them sight. You know that he healed them, don't you? But do you remember what was in the heart of the Savior when he looked on them? The text says it was because Jesus had what? Compassion on them. Is that not something? The heart of the Lord to all who seek him, even to horrible sinners who would turn to him in uh, faith and uh, repentance, seeking his mercy is compassion. How many, right, have committed vile sexual sins even, sins of the first table which are worse even than that, have found mercy in Jesus Christ? Even for the chief of sinners, there is mercy plenteous. Remember that sin's dominion is broken by Christ, believer. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. That is what you are made for. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for ye are not under the law, but under grace. What a good word that is to you who believe. It is both the command and also hope for you. It's a command that you are not right to have 
sin, not to give sin dominion over you. But sin does have dominion over the unregenerate heart apart from Christ. But the pledge and the promises here is that sin shall not have dominion over you if you are in Jesus. And so you're to go to him. His power by his Holy Spirit given to you. Again, praise God that if the Son has made you free, you are free indeed. Christ, the hope of the sinner. What a precious thought that is to us tonight. One thought on how sinners do not improve without Jesus. You know, I already mentioned to you that old and young alike groped about to molest the angels. Age is not going to quench your desire for sin. If that is what you think. Only Christ can. You do not naturally cease to become a sinner. Even some Christian men I've talked to think that age, you know, when I get a little older, then this lust is going to reduce. Absolutely false. Uh, You may go to nursing homes today and you will talk to men and you will ask, where do these thoughts come from? The gaze, the words, the sinful thoughts and desires that are just plain to see in them. No, nothing will cure a sinner but Christ. Natural age is of no use in fighting the lust of the flesh. In fact, sometimes what happens is the strength that you have tried to um, use in the flesh to hide who you are is just weakened. And it becomes exposed to all. Sin is never satiated outside of the Lord's gracious dealings with you. Never put hope in the mortification of sin in anything but constancy with Christ. Well, so for you who believe, praise God that Christ is yours. Will the portrait of depravity here, though, not stop you dead in your tracks with regard to sin? I pray it will. I pray this is of use to you, such that the very first motion of sin in your soul would be repented of. Before it grows to spiritual insensibility. Do you really want to hand yourself over to a seared conscience, friend? Oh, this is how to weary yourself, right? Not to weary yourself in the pursuit of sin, but to weary yourself in the pursuit of of Christ. Oh, that you would go to bed satisfied every day saying, today I spent all my strength pursuing Jesus Christ, seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and how you will go to bed, perhaps physically weary, but your soul will be so full of fat and marrow. That's how you ought to pursue the door of salvation. Do not weary yourself in the pursuing the door of sin. Now, for the encouragement of the godly here in the midst of a wicked and perverse generation, final thought, the Lord knoweth how to deliver the righteous. Let us remember that when we fight with our own sin, but also the sin of the society around us. Things are very bad in our society right now, no doubt. Things are also getting bad in the church, no doubt. Let us not lose heart when the wicked seem to gain ground. The Lord delivered Lot out of Sodom. He can deliver us as well. We must make a stand, yes, for the righteousness. We are not to be like those. We read in Amos 7, they said, go somewhere else and preach this thing. We are to stand firm and preach this thing. But we're not to lose hope. In fact, I'm actually kind of curious whether YouTube will flag this sermon today. It'll be very interesting. But if it, if it does... Not surprised, but the Lord knows how to use his word and the Lord knows how to deliver the righteous. And uh, remember what Jesus said in Luke's gospel, Sodom will get off easy compared to countries like America. Why? Sodom did not have the gospel preached. You are going to get off, if you are not in Christ and you have heard this word tonight and you die in your sin, it will be far better for the Sodomites who groped after Lot and the angels if you don't turn to Jesus because they did not have the gospel preached to them. But here you have. May that thought then remind us that Jesus not only delivers, but Jesus also judges. God has made this Jesus both Lord and Christ. Have him for your savior, lest you find him as your executioner. May we all turn away from sin and what displeases God and may God bless his word to us. Amen. Let us arise for prayer if able. Oh gracious God.
make sin horrid to us, make its insensibility frighten us, and make us depart from any path that is leading us on the pathway to sin to the door that leads to eternal damnation. Keep us on the straight and narrow path that leads to eternal life. If any here do not know the Savior, O God, we know only the Spirit of God can change the heart of man. We look with horror upon what sin does to a man. Turn us away from sin, O God. But we are thankful as well to know that Christ receives sinners. And may any sinner here who has pursued sin vehemently remember that all who come to Christ, he will in no wise cast away. That Christ died not for the righteous, but for the ungodly, for blasphemers, persecutors, homosexuals. But these must turn in repentance and faith. And may this be the day in which many are saved, be they here in our congregation or those who are listening elsewhere. And may our children be kept from these sins at a young age that have ensnared many of us and have uh, uh, devoured us as locusts we heard last year, uh, last week. But, oh God, how thankful we are for that promise from Joel 2.25 that what the locusts have devoured, the Lord our God can restore these years wasted in sin. And so, Father, we pray that we would not lose heart tonight, but that we would turn from sin to see what a mocker it is and a devourer it is to our blessed hope and Redeemer, Jesus. May God bless this word to us and may we live by it in his name. Amen.